Okay. So Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. This scripture has been just on my heart um, the last few days. And Father, I just thank you. I pray over this word tonight in the name of Jesus. And I just thank you, Father, that you would set a guard over my lips, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would only have me to open my mouth and speak out what's on your heart, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we just thank you and we praise you for this word tonight, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that whoever hears it, Lord, will receive it with joy and accept it, Lord, in the spirit of love, in Jesus' name. Amen. Because, you know, we have to do everything in love. And, and that's one of the little small things that we kind of forget about as well, along with thankfulness, I believe, is that we are to always operate in love. And uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. And uh, in the NLT, I'll just read it from, from this version. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up quarrels and strife, but love makes up for all offenses. And, um, you know, everywhere Jesus went, he operated in, in the spirit of truth, but he operated in the spirit of love. Even unto his dying moment up on the cross, the very last thing he said, with all that he had been through, with all of the rejection, all of the, the, the hatred, all of the unjustification, um, you know, uh, um, accusations that were brought against him, uh, with everything that had happened to him. He was on that cross, he was beaten, he was bleeding, he was, he was tormented. And you know, all through those couple of weeks that I was at home in bed, I, that's all that kept coming to my mind was what the Lord suffered for us. What he suffered in his physical body. What he suffered when the demons were, were there waiting, licking their lips, waiting for him to die, to take him into hell with them. Covered and totally consumed and, and totally having become sin for us. What he suffered on that cross what he suffered in the garden beforehand, thinking about what was going to happen to him. He suffered so much that he actually sweated. His sweat came out as blood because the blood vessels under the skin had burst and, and actual blood came out mixed with his sweat. That's how much pressure he was under. And yet, even through all of that, they spat at him. They pulled out his beard. They, they totally wronged him. He had never sinned. And yet, he was, he, they, 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 they screamed, crucify him. The whole crowd who he had ministered to, crucify him, crucify him. You know, uh, like, like, like hungry dogs looking at their prey. And on the cross, he cried out to the Father and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And he wasn't just talking about the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He wasn't just talking about the, the, you know, the crowds and the throngs earlier on who had cr cried out, crucify him, crucify him. He was talking about all these generations to come yet because it says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before Amen. it. And the joy that was set before it is him seeing you and me sitting here tonight worshipping him and crying out and saying Lord you are holy Lord you are king Lord there is no one like you there is no one like our God 
He's the God of miracles. And so often, you know, we go through life and, and life happens and, and, and uh, everyday things go on and it kind of beats people down and makes people, uh, you know, disheartened or whatever. And it makes us forget that we serve a God who is like no other God. He is king of all the earth. There is no one like him. He is the God of miracles. There is nothing impossible to him. Amen. His hand is not too sharp that it cannot save. Amen. And that's what we have to look at, is we have to focus. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, let's look at it, Hebrews 12. Praise God, we thank you for your word. okay with you I might read it from the NLT um, I know we usually read the word together but I just think this is a, a good version of this and it, I, I kind of wanted to read the whole chapter um, Hebrews chapter 12 it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And you know, I believe that's what the Lord wants to speak to you tonight, is that there are things in life that drag us down. There are things, we, there are things inside of ourselves, sins that we have, you know, that we need to, to deal with, maybe iniquities, maybe a, a habit of, of a, you know, a, the way we respond to something. Like, for instance, if there's a, something fearful spoken out, that straight away we go, oh my God. What if that happens? You know, that, that response, that's something that trips us up. It's a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It can be offense. You know, it can be something that somebody says that we take the wrong way and that, and that get offended at it and, and, and it be our, our sort of go-to response the way we deal with that person. And, you know, God, that's not the way he wants you to live. He wants you to live free from this stuff. So that's why he's saying, you know, strip off those things that easily trip us up. We do this. How do we do it? This is, isn't this the question of life? How do you do that? Because in Corinthians, Paul said, you know, cast down those imaginations and those high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So for instance, if it's fear, fear of a sickness or fear of the virus or fear of tomorrow or fear of financial whatever situation or fear of man even, you know, uh, which is something that, that is a, a big struggle. And, and how do we come against it? We, we do what he says here. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates or who authorizes and perfects or finishes our faith. So you see, there's a start and a finish to your faith. It's like kind of two bookends, if you like. And that's what will hold you up, is, is the fact that Jesus Christ uh, you know, gave himself for you and for me so that we could live. He allowed himself to become cursed so that we could live free from curse. And no matter what that curse looks like. And uh, so he's the, uh, he has given us authority over Satan, over his snakes and his scorpions, over those things that the enemy uses that will trip us up. 
whatever that is, whether it's fear or whether it's, uh, as I said, all those other things, you know. And, and so we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? By looking into his word, by constantly studying his word, by speaking his word. He had to do it himself in the wilderness. When the devil came against him and the devil, uh, you know, first of all, uh, attacked his identity of who he was. And, and, and said, if you're the son of God. And then secondly, the enemy tried to tempt him with, uh, and I, I just heard somebody, and I can't remember who it was now recently, give an excellent teaching on this. And was it Dutch Sheets? I'm not sure. But uh, when he took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the, the temple, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And um, this person who was preaching that message, which I just can't remember right now, but it was one of those days where I was in a kind of a fog. But um, he said, which I believe is actually something very true. He said, I believe that the, the enemy showed him all the kingdoms of, of you know, sin, of sodomy, of, of, uh, of uh, uh, abortion, uh, all these kingdoms, all these uh, high things that have been set up in the world and said, I give you every one of those if you'll just bow down and serve me once. And what a temptation that was for Jesus to deal with all those things. But no, he left his life in the hands of God and he said, no, you shall worship no, God, no other God, only the Lord. And so this is what we have to do. We have to cast down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because what does the word of God say on this topic? What does the word of God say on the thing that you're battling or the thing that you've been, uh, you know, going through? You need to find out what God says about it and then that's what you use. That's what it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because our faith is perfected by the word of God. In Ephesians it says that we are washed with the word. We're constantly being washed and cleansed. And this is so true because when we study the word of God, what it does is it challenges us. You know, it challenges our behaviors. It challenges our mindsets and the way we've thought about things. And sometimes it's not very pleasant. And we have to say, oh, Lord, what? You're joking. You want me to respond like that in love? Or you want me to, to, to respond in faith when there's nothing in the bank account? You want me to respond and say that I'm strong when I'm feeling so weak? What? You know, the kingdom of God does things and he, it's like he turns things on his head. And Joseph said it, you know, he said, you know, what you meant for evil, God turned it around for good. He spoke to his brothers. Joseph was someone who, who went through, you know, uh, 12 or 13 years of utter torment and utter brokenheartedness and betrayal. And yet he always kept his heart right. And, and, and you know, anyway, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given, yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Listen, if you love uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have asked him into your life as Lord, you are a child of God. 
He is your father and you are his child. And with that uh, position of being a child of God comes uh, great blessings and weight, but also comes, and let's read it. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. You see, that's it. God is taking us on a journey. And it's on a journey to holiness and righteousness. And we're not going to get there in our own strength. Many people have tried to do that and they've worn themselves out, trying to, to make our, ourselves perfect, trying to do enough good works that, that God would like me. But God is bringing us on a journey. And the journey is as we study and look into his word and as we are changed and transformed, we become a different person and a new creation. That's what salvation is all about. And it's got nothing to do with us. And your right standing with God today, you know, uh, you are right with him and you can stand before him because Jesus shed his blood and wiped out the whole uh, legal case that the enemy had against you and against me in the court of heaven. It has been dealt with by the blood that speaks for us. That's why it says, you know, the blood of Jesus speaks for us. We were not uh, redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold. We were, we were redeemed by the incorruptible, perfect blood that Jesus shed for us. And uh, so there are going to be times when the Lord will deal with you. There are times when, when the word of God will be challenging to you and you'll say, you know, you walk away from it and come back again and look at it again and say, what? What do you mean? And that's us being disciplined by the word and being brought into alignment. Because when we bring our lives into alignment under the word of God, that's when Satan has nothing in us. That's what the demons all said to Jesus. What are you doing here? We have nothing in common with you. We can have nothing in common with him. We cannot give him a foothold. We cannot give him a place. You know, and that's why we have to watch out for that sin or that thing that so easily trips us up. So, he says here, uh, our earthly fathers disciplined us. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. That's for sure. It's painful. Say, Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> but afterwards, there will be peaceful, a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Again, you know, God is so merciful. He is long-suffering. He is compassionate. And, 
you know, it can take years for somebody. All of us, we're all on a journey. And we've all, if we were to look back to see where we came from and to see the old attitudes and the old mindsets we used to have, uh, old issues that used to bother us that now don't bother us at all. Because we've been brought on a journey and on a process of being healed, being delivered, being redeemed. And we will be all of the days we're on this earth. No one will attain to perfection. But the thing is, is that we can put, uh, you know, God's word before our eyes and, and understand that we are righteous. There's, our, our flesh is going to sin. We're, our sin nature is going to rise up and, and there are going to be times when we fall. But praise God, it's not that you go out and habitually sin. You know, that's a different thing where there's habitual sin as in, uh, you know, mindfully and willfully going to do something and saying, that's ah, fine because I'll, I'll go to the blood afterwards okay, I would advise you stop that immediately because you're on dangerous ground. But there are times where there's things that crop up. No discipline is enjoyable, it's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So, and you know, this is a scripture that very often is taken out of context. But here it is in the context of disciplining ourselves, examining ourselves, keeping our, our hearts right before God. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And this is why we have to have an understanding of righteousness and what it is. It is that we were paid for, we were redeemed, we were ransomed back from the powers and principalities of sin and darkness and the devil that once controlled us. And we were reconciled back to God as if we had never sinned because Jesus shed his blood for us. And when we understand that, we will live differently. You will walk taller and you will walk in a different way. You won't walk like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that. No, you're not. You're a child of the Most High God and he has a plan for your life. Work at living with peace at everyone and living a holy life. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That's the thing you have to be careful of. You know, and what I was saying earlier about being thankful and about reminding ourselves every day about the things that we have to be thankful for. My God, I thank you for my family. My God, I thank you for my home. I thank you that I woke up in a warm bed this morning and that I was able to eat food today. I thank you, Father, that I had a car to, to drive me or a bike to cycle. You know, I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that I have, uh, you know, uh, the word of God sown in my heart. I thank you, Father. You can thank him. I thank you that I have television to keep me company at night. I thank you, Father, for my phone. Like, you know, there's, there's so many things when you stop to think about, about what we can be thankful for. But the thing is, is that the opposite of thankfulness is murmuring and complaining. And God dealt with the people, you know, in the wilderness, the children of God. They never stopped murmuring and complaining against God, against Moses, against Anyone they could think of. And, you know, if you want to go back and study it yourself this week, in Numbers chapter 16, uh, Numbers chapter 21, 
There were plagues that came upon the children of Israel because of the murmuring and complaining. And it's a habit that we need to get out of. And you see, if we cultivate this habit of being thankful, it will totally eradicate the, the habit of, of murmuring and complaining. It, it just eliminates it because somebody who has a grateful heart cannot be uh, you know, a complainer. Make sure that no one, uh, and, and just to point out there as well, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Because that's the thing with bitterness and with murmuring and complaining, is that it just doesn't affect the person who's doing it. Because, and you can read that yourself in number 16. When the children of Korah and, and that other guy, I can't remember his name now, when they started murmuring and complaining against Moses and against Aaron and against, we hate this wilderness, we hate this place, there's no water, there's no food. And yet God brought provision of supernatural water and supernatural food for them every day. But because they were so blinded by bitterness, and you know what they did? They started murmuring and all the people of the, uh, all the Israelites started coming against Moses and then Moses fell flat on his face before God and he said, what you know, and God said, get away from these people because I'm going to destroy the whole lot of them. And Moses said, no, Lord, don't do that because you brought them out. And do you want your enemies to say you couldn't bring them in? And, and Moses interceded for the people and, and he went out and he, he went to the camp where Korah and, and all that Dothan, Dothan was the other guy's name. And, and, and he said to them, he said to all the people, listen here, you lot. Get away from these two because they are, they are bringing a curse upon this whole camp of this whole people. And uh, you watch and see what the Lord does. But if you want to align yourselves with them, you're going to end up in as much trouble as them. And that's what happens with a root of bitterness is that it corrupts many. It spreads like, in fact, Timothy, when Paul wrote to Timothy, I encourage you as well, read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, this thing spreads like cancer. It spreads like cancer. You think cancer is only something that happened a few years ago. No, it's not. It's mentioned in the Bible. And, and they knew well what it did to the body. They didn't have any chemo and treatment and things like that back then. But, you know, it spreads to the whole body and destroys and corrupts it. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright uh, for the firstborn for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You have come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. And you know, I've been studying the word of God the last few days. And, and tonight I came here and I came here with a spirit of fear and trembling before you. The fear of God. And you know, it's something that we need to, to look at and to address in ourselves. Is that what, what is coming out of our mouths? Because the word of God says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And what the mouth speaks is what the fruit we will live and eat. And uh, 
here he's explaining that, you know, the people heard God's voice and they saw his power and his glory. And not even an animal could be put up on the mountain because if it did go near God's glory, it would drop dead. And that's the thing that we have to understand is that you don't mess with the glory of God. And God's glory is about to be poured out on the earth. And the Lord just reminded me the other day about a, a word of knowledge that he brought to me, um, I don't know how many months ago. I spoke it out here that morning. It was a Sunday morning. I was getting out of bed. And I heard this as clear as day. The church is about to do things that the world has no, actually the government has no language for. And we are about to see, and like Meg has been speaking with, with weeks and weeks, I know, that uh, the, the glory, the knowledge of the glory of God is being poured out on the earth. And it is already breaking out in places all over the earth where there's revival. I'm sure you've seen it on YouTube and on, and on uh, God TV. And listen, the thing is, is that yes, we want revival. We want the presence of God. We want to see the breakout of his miracles, his signs and wonders. But first of all, there is a shaking that goes on. And that shaking, you know, will shake all the unshakable, uh, everything that is shakable. Sorry, let's read it on here. Now you've come to Mount Zion. I uh, know you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and the people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. That's something we have to be so careful of. And like we read earlier in Proverbs chapter 10, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Hate cries for vengeance. Mm -hmm. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape. And you see, that's what happened to them, is they were constantly murmuring and complaining against God. They were complaining against Moses and Aaron. They were everything. And it opened the door for, for those plagues to come. And in fact, in, in um, it's the one in Numbers 21, I'm nearly sure, is that when, when that plague came, it was a plague of snakes. And the snakes bit the people and the people died. And Moses cried out to God for mercy. And the Lord said to him, put up a bronze pole and put a serpent up on the pole. And if anyone who has been bitten looks at the pole and the serpent on it, they will be healed and they won't die. And that was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ of the, the cross that he went on and the fact that when he was up on that cross, he became sin. He actually physically changed and every sin that has ever been committed against any person, no matter if it is the smallest sin, which people think there are small sins and big sins, but there are not. And it's interesting to know Go back and read Proverbs chapter 6 to find out what sins God hates. 
And you will be surprised to find that adultery, uh, homosexuality, uh, and, and those kind of things, criminality, uh, are not actually mentioned there. But they are mentioned in, in other places, obviously. You know. But the thing is, the thing that God hates is pride, arrogance, ignorance, sowing discord, and... Uh, you know, not humbling ourselves before him. So, when those, uh, when those people who had been bitten by that snake looked at the cross, they were healed because in God, in eternity, there is no time. And the cross is as real today to God the Father as it was 2,000 years ago. The cross was as real 3,000 years ago when Moses made that cross in the, in, the, in the desert, in the wilderness, as it was when Jesus went up in it. Because the serpent represented sin and, uh, you know, everything to do with sin. And once the people looked at God's plan of salvation far off into the future, they were redeemed and they were rescued and so that's what he's saying here that if the people of Moses did not escape we certainly won't escape when God spoke uh, this is um, I just realized I forgot my glasses but I can't see what that says I think it's 20 when God spoke from Mount Sinai his voice shook the earth but now he makes another promise once again I will shake not only the earth but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And so we please God by being thankful. We please God by... Uh, you know, getting with the process. And there are times when it's, when it's a difficult process, when there are stuff, you know, that we need to deal with and, and it's not pleasant or, or maybe it's something that you've always been afraid of and that you now need to address. That's not easy ever. But God is with you and he wants to shake those things. And there are many people that have, you know, gone through situations and they've been rebuking the devil and rebuking him. And, you know, oftentimes it's been their own bad attitude that has brought them there. Or oftentimes it has been the Lord who has brought them uh, through a situation in order to, you know, not that he puts a sickness or anything. I'm not trying to say that. But like Joseph said, you know, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God will turn it around for good. God brought good out of it. And that's what he will do. And so that's why it's important to keep our hearts right. Especially when, when, when circumstances are difficult. And listen, everybody, you know, is being tempted. Everybody is going through stuff. Everybody is, is, is dealing with things that... Uh, you know, the enemy has been playing ball with us for years. In fact, the other day I got a, a sort of a picture of a tennis match and the ball was going, you know, over from one side to the other. And I really felt like that we are the ball and the enemy is hitting and, and belting back then, you know, the Lord is. And, and 
it's the thing. The thing is, is that uh, God has a good plan in the midst of all of this, and mm-hmm. He is with you. He will not take His hand off yes. you. His hand has been on you. He loves you. And if you go with me to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter five. Jesus himself said in, in, in Luke chapter 17, he said, it is um, impossible that offenses will not come for the word's sake. And that's the thing is that we have to understand that, that every day we go through stuff and we have opportunities for offense at God, offense at others, and how we react and how we respond is going to uh, determine the outcome. And that's why, you know, that's what he was saying, is that we have to, to really deal with those things that as they come up, and not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of dealing with things. Often we, 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 we and actually that scripture, you know, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. That's actually the context that Paul is speaking about there. He's speaking about things that needed to be confronted and brought out into the light. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Because the thing is, is that if God is for us and if he is with us, we can, like Elisha say, there are more with us than there are with them. There's more in God's camp than there is in the enemy's camp. And with the enemy's camp there, you know, that's that, those demons, powers and principalities, all those things in Ephesians 6. Yes, they are real, but listen, we've been given authority over them. And once we understand our right standing with God, once we understand that we are to keep our hearts right before him and to walk in love and, and uh, to, to let his character be formed in us, that's what that scripture means. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are being constantly renewed, refreshed and transformed as we study his word and as we uh, you know, take it and, and do it. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Will you say that with me? Christ's love controls us. Amen. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person and a new creation. 
The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Do you know that? That what you've been through in the past, the things that you've dealt with in the past, those things are gone and under the blood of Jesus. And you, you know, that's why, and, and that scripture is, is on my heart every day. God's mercies are new every day. And equally, if we are to be like he is, because that's what it says in John, in, in John's epistle, as he is, so are we. Well, then our mercies need to be new every day. And that's what Paul is saying here. We've stopped looking at other people, you know, like the way we used to do before, when we used to operate in the flesh. Because now we're being led by the Spirit. The sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. This means, if anyone belongs to Christ, he's become a new creation. The old life has gone, and new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, and brought us, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Praise God. What a privilege. We've been given a message of reconciliation. And that's how we can stand in the gap for people and pray God's mercy for them and pray, Father, will you touch those people? Uh, he said, you know, somebody said that as well today. No, and I don't know who said it. I can't remember. But he said, isn't it interesting that God never told you to pray for your mother or your brother or your sister or your, your daughters or your sons? He told us to pray for our enemies. He told us to pray for the lost, to pray. You know, he t that's what he told us to pray for those who persecute us who've wronged us. We're to pray for them. And this is what we have, this ministry of reconciliation. And look what we are in 20. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. You are a VIP. You are a very important person in the kingdom of God because you are an ambassador for Christ. That's why we need to live like an ambassador. Ambassadors are, are, are brought to foreign countries and they represent their country or their kingdom that they've come from. They're uh, brought to live in, a, in, a, in a, a way that brings the weight and the glory of that kingdom that they've come from. They're not put into a shack and given bread and water. They're, they're put into a, you know, an ambassador's residence. They're driven around in a car. They, an ambassador holds himself differently. And, and you and me, we're ambassadors for, for heaven. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're to live differently to the world. You're an ambassador. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Amen. Say it with me. I'm an ambassador. I am an ambassador. Father God. Father God. I ask you. I ask you. To teach me. To teach me. How does an ambassador. Of Christ, of Christ, represent you. Represent you. I want to honor you. I want to honor you. I want to please you. I want to please you. And bring you glory. And bring you glory. So use me. So use me. And that's what Aileen was singing there. Praise God that she 
you know, you know, that's, I surrender my life to you. Do something with it, Lord. There's been many a preacher and many a, a person who's, who's uh, walked through life in, in enormous victory and, and an enormous impact on other people's lives who've just said, Lord, use me. Mm -hmm. You know, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, uh, lots of people, that Father um, McVery guy, you know, mm -hmm. all these people have, have given their lives and said, God, do something with me mm -hmm. and use me. It can be in the marketplace. It's not necessarily, you know, in a, in a, lots of people fear that, you know, having to stand up. And I'm so glad I've been gone for however, three or four weeks and that all of you have had to stand up here. And, and I, I applaud you. And I, I have to say, I'm so proud of anyone. And I would always encourage you, if there's something on your heart, or if you have, you know, a word that you believe the Lord has, come and share it. This isn't a rose show. And I said that the other night, you know, I, I really believe that we need to be very careful that we don't put people up on pedestals because people, we're only human beings and we'll all fail each other and let each other down. That's one sure fact. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? But praise God. We, we, each one of us, we're members of the body. This is my body and these are my fingers and my joints. This is my elbow. And all of these parts of my body are very important. And, you know, when I was sick there, there was days I couldn't stand up. And, like, that's literally the way I was walking. And I'll tell you, you really appreciate your legs when you're able to stand on them and they hold you up. You really appreciate having your toes. You, and, and, and for many people, you know, who've had to go through amputations and, and different procedures and stuff they've had to adjust their living to to now operate this different way and it, it's something very difficult and they have to be rehabilitated and almost reprogrammed to use their body well the body of christ uh, each one of you are part of it and members of it and you all have a valuable contribution god is speaking to you every day he is speaking to you all day he is ministering to you. He loves you. And he wants you to, uh, you know, do things for him that only you will be able to accomplish. But so much of it will depend on, Lord, use me and let me bring you glory. Amen. And just to finish, could we just go and very quickly to um, Psalm uh, 19. And Psalm 104, they're both kind of saying the same thing, but if you want to put your, your hand in both pages, Psalm 19 and Psalm 104. Psalm 19, um, it speaks about how, you know, all of creation sings God's praise, even, even without words. And in uh, verse 7, one of my favorite verses, the instruction of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. 
And you know, that's what happens when we come to, to church or, or, or when we study the Word of God at home ourselves. What happens is, is that there's life breathed in, into us. And it revives our soul, our emotions, our mind. It calms us down. It Amen. straightens out our thinking. And it, it corrects us where we need to be corrected. It brings encouragement where, we, where we've been dragged down. It brings, uh, you know, hope where perhaps things have been hopeless or where we felt helpless. The word of God, you know, revives your soul. You've got this picture of God just breathing his breath and it just you know bringing into blossom everything that had died in your heart and in your emotions and in your mind and bringing freshness and life the decrees of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple so even as simple as we are or as you know uh, <laughs> weak as we are because of the fact that we study the word of god you will find that you have wisdom and that you have uh, knowledge far beyond your, your, your intellect or far beyond your experience because God's word brings wisdom the commandments of the Lord are right bringing joy to the heart the commands of the Lord are clear giving insight for living that's what his word does is it gives us insight it gives us a plan to follow and it's a totally different plan to the plan of the world the plan of the world says uh, you know Look out for yourself. Uh, you know, do whatever you have to do to, to, to get on in life. Uh, you know, uh, curse people uh, or, or whatever. And the plan of God says, you know, you need to speak words of life over yourself, your family. You need to bless your enemies. You need to keep your heart right. You need to trust God. And, and so it's completely contrary. But it gives us insight for living. And a, a, a pathway to follow for blessing. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servants, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sin lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, and remember how prophetic it was that back in the 1970s, Boney M had that in their song. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight here tonight. You know, and praise God for that. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. And like it was Jesus himself said in, in Matthew chapter 7, guard your heart because out of it will flow, you know, um, the issue, yeah. Oh, that's actually, sorry, Proverbs. But in, in Matthew, he said, um, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as we guard our heart and as we allow the Lord's word to train our heart and to uh, bring alignment and, and, and bring correction to our hearts, the words of our mouth will be pleasing to God. And in Psalm 104, it says something very similar. Um, 
in verse 13. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And, you know, may all our thoughts be pleasing to him. May our hearts, you know, be pleasing to him. He said that those who come to him in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, it says those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And uh, I, I just thank God that uh, as people of God, that we are, you know, we're being taught his word here. We're being trained and being uh, ministered to so that when we leave here and go out and go home and, and go to work, we can then have that, have our hearts so set on fire and so rejoicing with no matter what the circumstances, we are to rejoice not, you know, rejoice for the things that have gone wrong, but, you know, know that the joy of the Lord is our strength and the joy of knowing him. Like he said, like we read in Psalm 19, there's no silver, there's no gold, there's nothing that this world can offer you that can uh, duplicate or, or, or uh, over, oh gosh, my words are getting mixed up, take over, you know, from knowing the Lord. The peace that comes from knowing him and knowing his word and knowing that he loves us and knowing that he has accepted us and that he has blessed us, that's priceless. Amen. And it will bring you through many a hard time. And like in Isaiah 43, he says, even though you might be, you know, going through some kind of a river that, that, that the water is trying to overwhelm you and overflow you, the river will, uh, the waters will not overflow you or overpower you. I will bring you out. Fear not, for I am with you. Amen. Maybe we'll read that to finish and we'll all read it together. Um, Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. So that's who he is. He is the Lord your God. He is the Holy One of Israel. And he is on your side. He is for you. He, he wants you to live blessed. He wants you to live free. He wants you to live as a minister of reconciliation. And he wants you to live as the new man, not the old. That's why he said, you know, in Ephesians, put off the former things, put off the corrupt flesh, put off the old man, and clothe yourselves with love. Because you see, God is love, and everything he does is love. Everything he operates through, his operating system or his currency is, is you know, a lot of people think it's faith, but it's, it's love. Amen. The greatest of these is love. Amen. Amen.